invite the rest of you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. This morning we'll read our text in its entirety before we get into the message so we have an understanding of what uh, the passage speaks about. So you follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read from verse 18 to 34. Matthew chapter 9. While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. And the fame hereof went abroad unto all that land. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David! Have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yes, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were open, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country, and They went out, behold, they brought up to him a dumb man, possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. But, the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of devils. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word We pray, Lord, that we'll come this morning with open hearts, ready minds to receive the Word of God as it's given forth this morning. We pray, Lord, that God the Holy Spirit would speak to the need of our heart this morning, whatever it might be. Lord, we thank you for each one that's here. We pray even for those who may listen over the Internet at a later time. We pray, Lord, that you'll meet their needs as well. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to open the Word of God, and we pray its blessing upon our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe each one of us, to some degree, has a concern for his well-being. Nobody likes to be sick, do they? Nobody likes pain. Nobody likes to feel terrible. We cannot separate our physical condition from our souls, and rightly so, for we are living souls by right of creation. 
And the Bible places great emphasis on the future body that has a kinship with the present one, but is elevated to a new status of a glorified or resurrected body. You know, as Christians, we anticipate the day when healing will be unnecessary. No deformity will affect us. No disease will infect us. No illness will exist. No demon will plague. And that belongs to the realm of the not yet. The realm of the not yet. I think it's helpful for us to think in two realms, the realm of the now and the realm of the not yet. The not yet gives us a profound sense of hope and anticipation of a full inheritance provided through Christ. And you know, we must think about the not yet and find encouragement to persevere and as we anticipate it in the future. Yet we live in the realm of the now. And we still have disease, and we still have illness, and we still have deformities, and we still have hardships. And that's all a result of the fall of man. Everywhere that sin has touched, there's been hurt and heartache and pain and misery. And it covers us like dust almost in the morning rays of the sun. The gospel promises us when God that God will wipe away all of our tears and all of our sorrow and sickness and death. And the power and the majesty of Christ's kingdom will come in full measure for every eye to see. But until the not yet is unfolded, we continue living in the now. Now in light of this, we have some wonderful hints about the future. Divine foretaste to whet our appetites for the not yet. And that's what our Lord is doing here as He healed the diseased, He raised the dead, He delivered the demonized, and He pointed to the consummation of His kingdom. Christ as healer foreshadows the wholeness and the completeness in the realm of the not yet. I wonder, have you caught sight of eternity through Christ the healer? And that's what we're going to look at first, the healer. The healer. Now, does Jesus Christ heal? Well, certainly we know that Christ heals. We see this in Scripture, and we also have wonderful testimonies of His healing mercies throughout history. Maybe some of you could give a testimony of how you have had healing in your life. And in the realm of the not yet, Christ the healer will heal every affliction. But does He heal every affliction in the realm of the now? Well, the Scripture gives us no promise or even a hint that every affliction will be healed in the present. Instead, we are taught to live in dependence upon God's grace during times of affliction. We need to learn contentment. We need to fight the good fight of faith. And the nature of the present realm is that it has been affected by the corruption of sin. Even the creation itself awaits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God since the natural realm is affected by the plague of sin and the corruption that entered through the sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And yet there are some occasions, even as we see in the days of His flesh, that our Lord 
breaks into the natural realm and he reverses the course of disease and physical corruption to bring healing. That is the exception rather than the normal rule. Those times of exception are glimpses of the realm of the not yet, that which is to come, the fullness of kingdom rule. Now a little later here in the book of Matthew, some of John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, asked Jesus, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? John had told them about the Messiah. He explained that his purpose was to serve as a forerunner of the Messiah. And now John in prison struggled over whether or not he had fulfilled his mission. And Christ's answer actually helps us to understand the nature here of our our own text here this morning as a messianic declaration. He said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 4 and 5, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. In other words, when the Messiah truly comes, he will provide obvious evidence of the not yet in the now. And so every act of healing, every raising of the dead, prove that the kingdom that was to come in Christ, and the days in which the effect of Adam's sin lingered are numbered. Now Matthew sought to give us a clear, reasoned explanation of Christ as the Messiah. And to do this, he told a series of stories from Christ's ministry of healing and deliverance. In the process, Matthew unfolded the nature and the character of Jesus Christ to his audience. And He does the same for us as we look at this text this morning. Notice first his compassion. Notice his compassion. Now the Jews had lived long under the dominion of of other rulers. Not since earlier days had the Jews known compassion from a king. Tyranny and abuse they knew quite well, but compassion in a ruler seemed to be complete contradiction. You know, many people today live in the threat of tyranny in our world. We've witnessed the perplexing acts of tyranny in the Middle East over the past few months, let alone the past few years, as well as tyrannical brutality in Africa and Asia and South America. Even in our own nation, we have difficulty accepting the idea that Governmental leaders are compassionate because we've witnessed otherwise. Rule and compassion seem to be at odds. So we find any attempts at compassion by our national leaders, to we make fun as soon as they try. And there's a natural skepticism that makes us fearful of trusting them. But we must pray for them. And we must encourage those who are, uh, are seeking to show genuine compassion. Now it is in the same setting that we find Jesus Christ, the King of the eternal kingdom, displaying compassion. While he was saying these things to them, that is, he was in the middle of talking to John's disciples, if you remember the context here of the chapter, he was talking to them on the subject of fasting and wineskins, And a synagogue official came to him and bows down before him. Jesus was right in the middle of a huge feast and a time of great 
uh, dialogue. He was instructing a whole house full of guests. But rather than calling for the synagogue official whom Mark identifies as Jarius to wait for a more convenient time or to contact one of his subordinates, Jesus Christ leaves the feast at Matthew's house to help this man in need. Similarly with the women who had been suffering, the woman who had been suffering from the issue of blood 12 years and with the two blind men. It seems like Jesus Christ gladly serves their need with great compassion. He gives no thought for his own needs, but he shows consideration for those who are in need. I wonder if you weighed the compassion of Christ in your own life. Sometimes, because of circumstances that trouble us, we kind of get the idea, you know, Christ has no concern for us. God doesn't think about us. He's not worried about us. He's not concerned about us. We might even ask the question, where is the Lord when I'm having so much trouble? See the ways of Christ going with those in need, bearing their burdens and feeling their hurts and applying His healing balm. Do you think that His compassion was only for the first century act? But now, today, He lacks compassion for your needs? Let me remind you of what He tells us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. You today can claim that verse, those verses, for yourself. You can come to Jesus and find rest for your souls. Or as Peter expressed it, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. He didn't just care for the ones in the first century that when he was living, but he cares for you and me right now. We see his compassion. Secondly, we see his interest. We find Jesus showed genuine interest in needy people. The woman that suffered with the long-term blood issue was considered to be unclean. Levitical law deemed her to be an unclean person as long as she had a, a flow of blood, which meant that she had no rights to gather with the assembly in the temple. Everything that she had touched was considered to be unclean. So in that society, no one could have anything to do with her over concern of being ceremonially unclean. There was a stigma. There was a humiliation of her condition and perhaps second only to that of leprosy. But you see here, Jesus shows great interest. He shows great interest in this woman who out of fear of creating a stir by making others unclean, she just touches Jesus' garment. His words to her were not those of rebuke, but they were of words of tenderness. She, he called her daughter, a term of endearment used only in this instant by Christ for an individual lady. Others wanted nothing to do with this lady because touching her would affect their standing in the community. Truly, she would have joined us in singing, 
No one ever cared for me like Jesus. We see his interest. Thirdly, we see his identity. We also find Jesus identifying with the suffering people of Capernaum. And in one brief span here, he eats with despicable tax collectors, the riffraff of the community. He follows a father that grieves over his daughter's death. He shows compassion for a lady that others would consider unclean. He touches the blind eyes of two men, and he liberates a demonized man. Jesus identified with sinners. He came for sinners. And that was the message he delivered to the Pharisees. We saw that back in verse 11 through 13. And that was what he practiced. He bore the title, well, friend of sinners. That's why the writer of Hebrews can proclaim, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15. And yet, in spite of such examples and such biblical assurance, there are some even maybe among us this morning that maybe wonder if Christ even thinks about you. You know your own sin far too well. You think that surely Jesus Christ would not have compassion for you because of all the miserable things that plague your life. Take heart. Christ has identified with the suffering sinner's through all ages, and that includes each one of us here this morning. Let us find refuge in Him that this suffering woman and the demonized man found. Notice, fourthly, His acceptance. His acceptance. Jesus Christ accepts only needy people. And that's what shouts at us from this text. Jairus' 12-year-old daughter lay dead. He was needy. The woman had suffered for 12 years with bleeding. She was needy. The blind men lived in a society that had no benefits for physical debilitations, and they were needy. Jesus Christ accepted them on the basis of their need. He does not accept us on the basis of what we can do for Him or what we might add to His worth. In contrast, of course, the the Pharisees did not come to know Christ with very few exceptions because they could not admit, uh, admit that they were needy people. Now, some think that they must be perfect in their faith or they need to clean up their lives before Christ will accept them. Take, for instance, the woman that suffered with the issue of blood. Why did she just touch the hem of his garment? Well, she kept saying over and over to herself as the, uh, the, the Scripture uh, expresses to us, if only I could touch his garment, I would get well. She had faith. For we find Christ commended her faith, but her faith was not perfect by any means. It was a weak faith. And Jesus responded to, the, to that faith, that weak faith, that he discerned. You know, occasionally I find myself in discussion with people that feel that Christ cannot accept him or her. Perhaps the the person has great flaws in character, or they've sinned greatly, or they lack stable faith. We need to learn something from this passage this morning. It is when you feel your need for Christ as your Lord and Redeemer that He accepts you. He welcomes broken people and suffering people. 
Number five, we see his kindness. Jesus Christ shows kindness to needy people. When he says here, be of good comfort, that is Jesus lovingly commanding the suffering woman, and it shows kindness. It's evident that she felt all eyes were upon her once she had caught uh, she was caught touching the uh, uh, hem of his garment. A lady that had likely been avoided, uh, had avoided public places for 12 years. She knew nothing about social relationships because of her physical problem. And she was kind of frozen by the reality that her healing was noticed. Jesus said, be of good comfort. Everything was different now that Jesus had touched her life. Even the way that she looked at herself changed because of the kindness of Christ. Think about His multiplied kindness to you this morning. We see His compassion, we see His interest, we see His identification with us, we see His acceptance, His kindness, and then we see His power. His power. One of the primary issues that Matthew addresses is the power or the authority. We've talked about that in our past messages. How Christ has this power, this authority over every aspect of creation. And that is why he tells about uh, Christ, Matthew tells about Christ calming the winds and the waves and walking on the water, multiplying the bread and the fish to feed the multitudes, healing the blind and the deaf, raising the dead. Such variety and display of his power reinforces the closing words of Matthew's gospel when he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, in chapter 28, verse 18. He can declare that the dead girl is only asleep and then promptly, promptly raises her up. He can touch the eyes of two blind men and immediately they regain their sight. He delivers a man so demonized that he cannot speak and immediately he speaks. And that's why the crowds were astonished. It was never so seen in Israel, they said. Yes, Israel might have had its mighty prophets that commanded the rain to stop, and it did for three years, and they raised the dead, but nothing like this was ever concentrated in one person so that throughout the land of Israel, Jesus Christ demonstrated mighty power over every aspect of creation. I want you to Consider again these four scenes before us. In the woman with the issue of blood, Jesus demonstrated power over a long-standing physical disorder. No effort in ancient medicine could cure her, nor could a superstitious remedies of the Talmud cure her either. But in one touch of faith, and the woman was made whole from that hour. Then there was Jairus' daughter, dead long enough for the professional flute players and the uh, mourners to have invaded the home. Jesus took her by the hand and the maid arose. Jesus demonstrates power over death as one that conquered dead, death. The two blind men gave occasion for Christ's power over the deformities of the human body. They cried to Jesus as the messianic king. They said, Son of David, have mercy. And then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. Their eyes were open. And then finally, he demonstrated the power over this demonized man as a dumb man possessed with a devil. 
He never flinched or balked, but He set the man free. So there is every reason to believe that not only did these individuals receive healing, life, and deliverance, but they also came to know Christ through salvation. Only with a demonized man do we lack enough evidence to make that assertion. But it seems obvious that his friends had brought him to Christ that they believed. And the whole point of the demonstrations is the divine power. He has power over disorders and death and deformities and demons. He has power to deliver you from the curse and the judgment of sin. The power that raised Jesus from the dead can also set you and me free from the power of sin and death as well. Notice then his question. Notice his question. That brings us to Christ's question. Believe ye that I am able to do this. In verse 28 we read, that is what is, he asked the two blind men that sought his mercy in healing them. Do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you think that Christ has the power to do this? Yes, but do you believe that he, is, he has the willing ability to do it? The test of their faith in Christ came as he declared, according to your faith, be it unto you. In other words, if you do believe that I am able to heal you and I then I will heal you. Faith lays hold of the ability of Christ on your behalf. Do you believe that Christ is able to work in your own neediness? Let us not think too small of Him who has all power. Then we come, secondly, to the healed. We've looked at the healer. Notice the healed. We discover some common characteristics of those that Christ ministered to. Be assured that the same characteristics are found in those who receive Christ today. First characteristic is desperation. Desperation. Now, our society avoids the idea of desperation since it puts us in a position of great need and dependence upon someone else. We might consider a homeless person to be desperate or someone in a slum area to be... But to consider ourselves to be desperate... That makes us feel kind of uneasy. We don't like that idea. And yet, I would submit to you that unless you feel your own sense of desperation, you will not look to Christ. Jairus, this synagogue official, was a desperate man when he came to Christ. Because of his position in Capernaum, Jairus would have been involved in the leadership of the Jewish community. His circle of friends would have included the Pharisees that sought to undermine the Lord. To say that he would have been criticized for being friendly to Christ, much less trusting in him to bring his daughter to life, would be an understatement. He faced great pressure to conform to the prevailing religious notions of his community. But he was a desperate man. Desperation calls for decisive action in spite of what everyone else thinks. And so he gladly faces the scorn and the ridicule of the rest of the religious community if he could only receive mercy from the Lord. Only needy people feel the desperation in their lives apart from the grace of God through Christ. But it's hard for us to admit many times that we have a need. And I say that's pride. Pride says, I don't need anything. I'm good. It's hard for us to say that we're hopeless, helpless, and desperate. 
we're without the Lord. And that's a huge admission to make. But it's also necessary for us, without such honesty, we will not receive the great physician's power to heal the deadly wounds of sin. Desperation. There's a second characteristic here, and that's humility. Accompanying desperation is humility. The posture of the mind and heart in which we recognize the worthiness of the Lord and our own lack of worth. Again, consider Jairus' approach. He was a spiritual leader in the local synagogue and recognized by everyone in the community. But we see here that he worshipped Jesus Christ. That term is used and it expresses a genuine spirit of humility before one who is greater. Even his request of Christ shows humility because he asked Christ to do something that was impossible for man. The woman with the 12-year blood condition showed such humility that she did not even feel herself worthy to ask Christ to come to her aid. She simply secretly touched the hem of his garment and she believed. The cry of the two blind men, have mercy on us, expresses the lesser looking to the greater for favor. I wonder this morning, have you humbled yourself before the Lord? The Bible says, For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. The one with a stubborn, stiff-necked pride refuses to bend before the Lord will not know the Lord or His blessing. It was the prideful, hardened heart that left the Israelites in the wilderness, far from the promises of God. Pride closed the ears of Pharisees to the gospel. The way of humility is the way to God. And then we find there is faith. Matthew focuses on faith throughout this gospel. Each one of our examples in this text shows needy people trusting the Lord. Each believed the Lord for something humanly impossible. Thy faith hath made thee whole, Jesus told the suffering woman. Through her faith, though her faith was weak, even uh, with homes homespun superstition. She laid hold of Christ's power and provision. It was a weak faith, but it was adequate faith for Christ to work. The blind men confessed Christ as the Son of David. That's a clear reference to Jesus as the Messiah. And when asked, believe ye that I am able to do this? They said to him, yea, Lord. There's no theological explanation on their part. You can guess that they were not capable of that even. There was also no hedging on the power and the, the ability of Christ. They just said, yea, Lord. Yes, Lord. And he healed them because of their faith. Simple faith, but sufficient. And here's what we see about faith of these desperate people. They look to Christ and they believe Christ to be sufficient for their need. None were giants of faith. They were simple people that felt their own desperation. They looked to Christ. They believed Him to be sufficient. And that's the kind of faith that transforms sinners. Some of us worry that our faith is too weak to be acceptable. You know what? Christ accepts even weak faith. Do you struggle over the size and power of your faith? Then that's your problem. You're focusing upon your faith and not upon Christ. Look to Christ. Trust His sufficiency. Know His power is available for you. And there's one last characteristic, and that's satisfaction. Satisfaction. Do you think these people were satisfied with Christ? 
Ask Jairus, whose daughter was raised from the dead. Or the woman that no one could help. Ask her if she was satisfied with Christ. Ask the two blind men if they were satisfied with Christ. Or the demonized man if he was satisfied to be delivered by Christ. Now some among us here this morning might struggle over this very thing. Will you be satisfied with Christ? It's hard to see and it's hard to grasp when you are still in bondage in your own sins. You have difficulty thinking that what is, it is like to know Christ, to be forgiven, to have the hope of eternity, to have the indwelling Holy Spirit. But consider the blind men. They could not contain their joy and excitement so that when they departed, they spread His fame in all that country. Even though Christ had told them to hold their excitement, presumably lest some kind of messianic fever would break out. But we dare not excuse their disobedience, but we sense their satisfaction with Christ. I'm convinced that you will have the same satisfaction that may be hard to contain, and you need not contain it. Well, the physical healings in our text foreshadow the wholeness and the completeness found in the not yet. But the not yet is for those who are desperate and humble themselves and believe Christ now. Do you have the assurance of the future? Do you have assurance of heaven this morning? Are you looking for that? Then trust Christ today. Today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you thanking you for the great demonstrations of your compassion, your interest, your identity, your acceptance, your kindness, your power. We thank you, Lord, that even these people who you healed and you made whole, you didn't do it just in their physical bodies, but you did it in their spirit as well. And yes, they were desperate people, but they came to you in humility and, and by faith. And the result is they were satisfied with you. Lord, help us in our time of need, in our lives today, to humble ourselves before you and to recognize that even though our faith may be weak and it may be small, it is that which you can work with, you can accept, and you can cause us to be healed spiritually. Help us to realize that, yes, may, many of our physical needs may not be completely healed in this life. Although we often pray for healing, and we often see you working in that way. But we know that there's a day coming when we'll have no physical sicknesses. And Lord, because of that, we can trust you for, and depend upon you for the very time that we live right now. Speak to our hearts, we pray, Lord, as we close our service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.